0: Well, good morning. good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in John chapter 20? Uh, John chapter 20, verse 1 through 10, is where we'll be in God's Word together uh, this Sunday. Uh, this morning, uh, we are beginning uh, a new sermon series entitled Resurrection Stories. Uh, as Sam mentioned, I'm Evan, one of the pastors here, and uh, really thankful to be. Uh, beginning this uh, new sermon series, Resurrection Stories, uh, where we'll look at various moments uh, that occurred in the aftermath of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last Sunday was a joyous time to celebrate our risen Savior. Amen? Uh, but, but we know that the, the resurrection uh, was not simply a single event that the resurrection signals a change in the tide of human existence. Jesus died to destroy the power of death. Uh, He was delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification, as Romans 4.25 says. And so we'll consider the implications of this Easter tide over the next several weeks until Pentecost, and we will start with the resurrection moment itself here in John chapter 20. Uh, one of the things I, I love about these stories is that we get to see struggling people uh, wrestling with what to do about the empty tomb. Uh, this struggle isn't new. And yet Jesus remains tender and pursuant uh, towards struggling people, uh, I'm excited to peer into that reality this morning with you. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we give attention to God's word from John chapter 20, verse 1 through 10. Uh, hear now the word of the Lord. Uh, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that where your spirit is, there is life and freedom, and power. Lord, thank you that your spirit is is here. Lord, thank you that your spirit enables us to receive your word. Thank you, Lord, that when we open your word, you open your mouth. You speak to us. And so, Lord, I ask that as I would speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform Lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, the game of chess is won when the king is defeated. When the king can no longer move on the chessboard, the opponent is the victor. This is called checkmate. Uh, This idea was, was captured in a painting that was in the Louvre Museum in Paris. This painting, entitled Checkmate, depicts two chess players. One is Satan, who appears arrogantly confident, The other player is a man who looks despondent, desperate. If Satan wins, he wins the man's soul. The painting is meant to express the overpowering presence of evil in the world. The painting looks like the devil will win. And you can see the distress on the man's face as he looks at the chessboard, ready to surrender to the checkmate. The story goes that a grandmaster chess player visited the Louvre Museum and came across this painting, among others, that he was looking at. He was intrigued by this painting because it featured his passion, a game of chess. He began gazing at the different elements within the painting, the devil, the man, the chessboard. He looked at the title, Checkmate. And again, he gazed at the painting, surveying what was happening with the devil, the man, and the chessboard, and suddenly he took notice. The painting was wrong. Even though it looked like the devil was going to be the victor of the game, even though there was a checkmate already declared over the man, it was all wrong. When this chess grandmaster looked at the arrangement of the pieces on the chessboard. He saw it. The king had one more move. The grandmaster contacted the museum's curator and told him that he needed to do something about this because the title of the painting did not fit the scene. The king still had one more move. I'm trying not to preach too early, but I'm feeling it already. (laughs) Uh, the, the, the painting was, was taken down, and it was sold in an auction because there was a discrepancy within it. Uh, the, the, the man in the painting felt defeated, and most everybody looking at him agreed, but what they all missed was that the king still had one more move. In our text this morning, everyone was under the impression that Jesus was defeated. The Jewish leaders, the Roman officials, even the disciples, the devoted followers of Jesus were convinced that it was over. Chapter 20 is full of fear and anxiety. It's full of grief and sorrow. Everyone thought it was checkmate. They did not know that the king still had one more move. And I'm encouraged this morning. I'm encouraged not merely because Jesus was and is victorious. I'm encouraged because Jesus makes room for those that don't quite always get that. He makes room for those of us that are tempted to believe that death is the victor, that sin is the victor, that evil is the victor. He does not cast us away, but rather he invites us in. To see more within the picture. We see this as we see three characters in this story Mary Magdalene, Simon Peter, and the unnamed beloved disciple, which most scholars would say is the gospel writer John. We get to verse one, and Mary is approaching the tomb where Jesus was buried. It was early, it was dark. Mary has come to tend to the body of Jesus. She wanted to bring spices and and oils to to make sure the body was properly preserved. She was ready to go to work on this corpse. She was ready to find a dead Jesus, a, a lifeless Jesus, a defeated Jesus, but found something else instead. The stone that was supposed to seal the body in the tomb had been rolled away. Now pause right there. Now we know how the story is supposed to go, right? I mean, we just did it last Sunday. Now we celebrated, we rejoiced, we got all dressed up. Pastor Daniel got up and said, he is risen. And we responded back, what? He is risen indeed. There you go, good church people. Now, if there was ever an occasion or a people that would have that kind of exchange, it would be this occasion and these people. I mean, these people that knew Jesus, they they walked with Jesus, they stared eye to eye, face to face with Jesus. And not only that, but Jesus said multiple times, I will be resurrected. This is not going to be a plot twist. I'm coming back. But what happened in verse two? Mary didn't come and, and shout, He is risen. No. She, she runs to Simon Peter and the other disciple and she says, Somebody stole his body. I don't know where they put him. She didn't get it. And then in verse three and four, how did Simon Peter and the other disciple respond? They didn't respond with high fives, right? They didn't respond by saying, Hallelujah, he's back. They didn't correct Mary. No, they agreed with her. This is checkmate. The Lord is dead, and someone has stolen his body. And they run to the tomb. They're panicked. They're afraid. They're probably thinking, how could somebody do this? I mean, you're throwing salt in the wound. You're twisting the knife here. You already killed Jesus, and now you want to desecrate his body? Mary just gave them devastating news. But then we get to verse 5 through verse 7, and something happens. Can you sense the shift They're they're, they're frantic and hurried in verse 3 and 4, but then we get to verse 5 through 7 and something happens. They were expecting to find the remains of a grave robbery, but the scene doesn't quite fit. The gospel writer is slowing down and giving what seems like minute details, but he's trying to paint the picture for us. This is not the scene of a grave robbery. I mean, there's no signs of disturbance in the tomb. The the linen is left behind, which makes no sense. We know in in chapter 19 that they put 75 pounds worth of spices in this linen. The the robbers would have made a fortune if they would have taken it with them, but they left it behind. But also, the, the linen is not torn. It's not ruffled, it's folded. Corpses were were wrapped tight to keep the smell of the body in. There's there's no way they could have gotten the linen off this dead body and, and it remains just lying there and folded. This scene is looking less and less like a checkmate. And what I love about these verses is what I think is an invitation for us all. Come and see. You don't need to believe blindly, even though God is worthy of it. Come and see. And it's not just looking or glancing. No, come and investigate the empty tomb. The original language of the New Testament is Greek, and the Greek word in verse 6, where Peter sees the linen cloths, is the word theoreo, where we get the word theorize or theory from. Peter is contemplating, theorizing what he's seeing. He's reasoning. He's trying to answer the question that we all need to reason with, how do I make sense of the empty tomb? The most reasonable conclusion is that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He resurrected. But you don't have to take my word for it. Come. See for yourself. Because here's the thing. The stone was not rolled away for Jesus. He didn't need the stone rolled away. He made it through the cloths undisturbed. Later in this chapter, he made it through a locked door with the disciples undisturbed. He is the God of the universe. He can make it through the stone undisturbed. But the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. It was rolled away to let us in. Come and see. Not a single gospel account shows Jesus walking out of the tomb. The stone was rolled away. For us to come and see that he has done just what he promised. We get to verse 8, 9, and 10, and we see the other disciple. He comes and he sees. Verse 8 says, he saw and he believed. And scholars debate the nature of him believing. Some say he's just believing what Mary said, that, that someone stole the body. He's, he's believing that they're But that's less likely. What's more likely is the disciple was beginning to believe the resurrection. He remembered and believed what Jesus said. Belief is a major theme in John's gospel. The other three gospels combined only talk about belief about 35 times. John by himself talks about belief about 85 times. At the end of this chapter... In John, he he writes why he wrote his gospel, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. Belief meant a lot to this gospel writer. And if he's talking about himself in verse 8, this belief is that life-transforming belief. He saw, and he believed. And that that paired with with verse 9 is is interesting. Because verse 9 says that as yet, or up until this point, they did not understand the scripture, that Jesus must rise from the dead. Clearly, they didn't fully understand. I mean, they they missed their cue to shout. They they missed their cue to, to praise God here. I mean Jesus has has conquered death and the grave. Death died on this early Sunday morning. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah that the head of the one who was once crowned with thorns is now crowned with glory. Hallelujah that the one who wore our sin and shame is now robed in majesty. Thanks be to God. And we ought to give praise to Christ our king. Amen. Amen. But that's not what's happening here. As you continue reading chapter 20, they still need help getting it. And instead of casting them away, frustrated by their reaction, Jesus moves towards them. He continues to invite them to come and see. And At the end of our passage this morning, they they leave and go home somewhat anticlimactic because they're they're still wrestling and struggling with what happened and yet that invitation is still held out to them and that invitation is held out for us this morning can we believe Jesus even when we don't fully understand him that that's what John is raising in these verses that they still didn't fully understand, but the disciple believed. And we will see this over and over again in these resurrection stories. Belief, even when there isn't certainty. And that's one of the great myths of the skeptic. I would believe if I just had more certainty. Now listen. Uh, these followers looked upon Jesus. They they ate with Jesus. They they watched him do miracles. That they, they heard him say he would be resurrected, and still, they struggled with certainty. Do you think you're going to be an exception? The resurrection is historical, defensible, and reasonable. We, we are so blessed in 2023, especially in America, because there are more resources, books, curriculums, documentaries, archaeological digs than, that, that confirm the reliability of the resurrection than ever before, more than any other time in history. And yet, these resources will not give so much certainty that we don't still need to believe. You, you still must believe. Believe. I like how Dr. Tony Evans puts it. He says, belief is not just a feeling. It is acting like God is telling the truth. Uh, Belief is not just expressed by your lips. It's manifested by your life. Do you believe in this resurrected king this morning? And the risk of this belief, the belief that John describes is that it means you have to surrender. You have to surrender your life, the deepest parts of who you are, your your identity, your, your purpose, your life. All of that is actually changed when you believe in Jesus Christ. We don't get to just add him on top of what we already decided for ourselves. We must surrender. And somebody in here You might have all kinds of questions about Jesus, the resurrection, the Bible, and the list goes on. And you might think certainty will help you, but what you're really wrestling for is safety. Is God really safe for me to believe in him? Is he the one that I can really go to? In the moments of doubt and shame or fear or pride, is he the one that can really bear the weight of my existence? Is he the one that I can turn to and believe with the most precious aspects of my life? Am I safe? And certainly, if you try believing in yourself or your job or your experience, you already know those will inevitably fail you, but they might still feel safe. But that's why I love these resurrection stories. And I want to encourage you. Keep coming back. Keep questioning. Because what you will see is these disciples, these followers that knew Jesus personally, they also struggled with feeling safe enough to surrender to him. But, but they didn't follow God primarily because he's safe. They followed him because he was telling the truth. And he deserved their belief. And in our, post, in our post-truth culture, it could feel dangerous to believe. It could maybe even feel silly. But if you're looking for life, for true life, John says we find that in the one who conquered death. So I want to invite you to keep wrestling. Keep struggling. You're in good company here. Uh, In these resurrection stories and in this church, you will find folks learning to believe in a victorious king who loves us even when we always don't quite get it. So come, see, and believe. And you might find a king who has one more move in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that when we are faithless, you remain faithful. Lord, thank you that you are the resurrected king. You are the champion. You are the one that has conquered death and the grave. But even in this history-changing moment, we still struggle to believe. Lord, thank you that we are not unique in that. Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, by your grace and by your love, would you help us to surrender to the truth of the gospel, to the reality of the empty tomb. Thank you that we can bring you all our wrestlings and all our questions and all our struggles, and you're not surprised or afraid but you continue to welcome us and invite us. Come and see. Would you give us hearts that will receive that invitation, that would surrender and be transformed in Jesus' name. Amen.